Let's take open our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter, excuse me, Romans, Matthew, wow. <clears throat> Did I say I was tired? Uh, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 24 to 30 and 36 to 43 this morning. Matthew chapter 13. Beginning with the parable of the weeds. We're going to read this morning regarding the parable of the weeds and then also Jesus' explanation. So we're kind of skipping between some other sections in here. and We'll get to those in the coming weeks as we move forward through Matthew. But first we're going to look here at this, this parable that Jesus tells the crowds and then explains to his disciples. He put another parable before them saying... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds, verse 36, and he went in the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is, in the, is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. And just as the weeds are gathered with fire and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin. And all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Father God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. Lord, I thank you that you have revealed to us the truth of these parables so that we might understand what it is to be a part of your kingdom and live in it. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you held nothing back and you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross for our sins. Lord God, may we live in light 
of this incredible gift that you have given to us. May what you have accomplished on our behalf radically change us forever. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. This morning we enter into what is called the parables of the kingdom. It's a series of parables. Jesus tells the crowds and then explains to his disciples, some of them, not all of them, in regards to the kingdom and what it's going to be like to live in the kingdom. So you think that this explanation and this idea of being part of God's kingdom would be something that it would draw all Christians from all time together. Being part of the kingdom of God should be something that excites us and says, man, we want to be part of the kingdom and we want to rejoice in the kingdom and we want to understand what it is to live in the kingdom. But unfortunately, we as children of God have, have, a, have still have struggle with the flesh a little bit, don't we? And, and some things that are supposed to draw us together sometimes drive us apart as this understanding of the kingdom has done in, in some churches throughout time. There's been many different understandings of when the kingdom of God is inaugurated, when it was began. There's been many different understandings of when it ends and, and what is going on in the day and age in which we live. And it's often tied to our understanding of end times. And this morning I'm going to argue from a perspective and from a stance that I believe what scripture is stating. That we are presently living in the kingdom of God with the future expectation of the full kingdom of God to someday be revealed. And how do we know that we're currently living in the kingdom of God? Well, one of the things is the King Jesus Christ has come. And in Matthew chapter 12, we read here in verse 28, Matthew 12, 28, we, we covered these verses a month or so ago, and it says in verse 28, but if by, and this is remember when the, the Pharisees were coming after Jesus and they were questioning him about him casting out demons. And they said, Jesus casts out demons in the name of Beelzebul. And Jesus is telling them uh, that Satan can't, has house cannot stand with him if he casts out name, demons in his own name. And so Jesus is making this argument with him. And he says, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. If you look over here in Luke, Luke has also something to say about this in Jesus' own words. In Luke chapter 17, it goes Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, Pharisees once again questioned Jesus, this time very directly, about the kingdom of God. Because if you remember about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, what kind of kingdom are they looking for? They want a political kingdom, right? They want Jesus to come down and slaughter all the Romans and take care of business and establish himself as king and reign upon the earth. They want that earthly kingdom. They're tired of being beat down. They're tired of people standing against them. They're tired of... They want God to establish his kingdom. But they're putting the cart before the horse because there's still this problem of sin. There's still this problem of the sin has not been addressed. There has been no sacrifice that it completely does away and wipes away sin. Well, that sacrifice is present in Jesus Christ. Sin must be dealt with. Could you imagine establishing a kingdom without dealing with the problem of sin? 
it would look a lot like today, wouldn't it? People still killing each other, people lying, stealing, cheating, doing all of these things. It would still continue on if the problem of sin has not been dealt with. There's not been a sacrifice to take care of the sin so that when the eternal kingdom is established, those who are called his children will be righteous, will be holy, will be just, and there will be no more sin anymore. He says here in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The king has come. If you read on in Acts, in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, you'll hear about Philip proclaiming and evangelizing people, telling them that the kingdom of God has come and administering to them regarding Jesus Christ. Paul also stands in front of his accusers and those who wish to put him to death and also bears witness to the kingdom of God. Why is this so important for us to understand? Well, I'll give a very practical Example why this is important this morning. If you don't believe that we are currently living within this underrealized or not fully yet kingdom of God, if you don't believe that Christ is reigning in our hearts and lives, then these parables that we're about ready to study, then we practically believe they don't apply to us now. And I would argue they definitely do. As we look over these parables, Jesus is going to explain to his disciples what it looks like to be his kingdom people living for him and the world that God had placed them. And we understand that these teachings are for us. I'd like to read a quote from you from Chuck Colson. He writes a very good statement here in regards to our understanding of the kingdom of God. The continuation stage of the kingdom of God is the stage we are in now, living in between Christ's first and second coming. It's a stage marked by tension between the present and the future. We're in the period of redemptive history, often to referred to as already and not yet. Have you ever heard that? The kingdom is already here in true form, but yet not in full form. Christ is reigning in our hearts and lives. The world sees Christ has come. How does the world know that Christ has come? By our lives and our example. The Christ bears witness and bears testimony. The king has come and it will come again. It goes on to say it is, it's in its present beginnings, but still future in its fullness. We get to see the power and the glory of, of God being worked out in us but we're going to see the full expression and the power of glory of God to come when Jesus Christ is physically reigning upon the throne in heaven and we will be able to rejoice as all sin, sickness, death is completely wiped out forever. I know it's exciting, isn't it? This guards us from an underrealized eschatology, meaning that expecting no change now, and an overrealized eschatology, meaning that expecting all change now. In this stage, we embrace the reality that while we're not that while we're not yet what we will be, we're also no longer what we used to be. 
we're going to be perfected someday. You know, I joke all the time, I'm going to get my thumb back, right? I can't wait for that day, being able to grab a two-liter soda bottle without spilling it all over the place again with my left hand. You know, we're going to be perfected, completely perfected in physical. But right now, we have been changed. The children of God have been changed. Our hearts and lives have been changed by the power of God as he indwells us. And so our hearts and lives have been changed. We have been given righteousness to us, not because we've earned it, but because it's been given to us because of Jesus Christ. While we're, we're like Israel, I love this analogy, we're like Israel d- during her wilderness wanderings. Remember that story about Israel when they left out of Egypt? God took them out of the land of Egypt where they were slaves. They were slaves to the Egyptians. They were beaten. It was a horrible circumstance and situations. The pharaohs slaughtered the newborn children and infants. I mean, horrific circumstance that, that somebody could have the power to kill your kids. That's what it was like to be a slave. And Christ released them from that slavery and from that bondage. And it says that we're kind of like the children of Israel. We've left Egypt, but we haven't yet entered the promised land. And you think about Israel's wandering through the wilderness. Seeing the power of God present before them in the cloud and in the fire cloud. And, and, and seeing God presently with them. Seeing God provide food and water. Seeing God do these amazing things. But we're still struggling, aren't we? We're a lot like the Israelites, grumbling, complaining. You know, God does something amazing in our lives. Like we're short for rent one week or one month, and God powerfully provides, and boom, we've got it. But next week, we're back to going, oh, my goodness, life is terrible. And how am I going to have this? God just provided for you. That's, that's just, we're a lot like Israel, wandering the wilderness. But someday, someday we'll be in the promised land, and we will stop being that. We will stop battling the flesh because God will have given us redeemed bodies, and sin will be no more. That, that's the world that we live in now. Christ is reigning in us, working through us. And so God is going to say, you know what? It's important for you to realize where you're at because I want you to understand what it looks like to live for me in this kingdom right now. What it looks like for me to reign upon the throne in heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father, reign in your hearts and your lives, and still do my work in this world. So Jesus tells them this parable. It's kind of like last week. Last week, Jesus gives them this great parable of the sower, right? The sower sowing the seeds, and we talked about that. His disciples come to him and said, okay, great story. I was riveted, held on the edge, but why are you telling stories? What's the purpose? And Jesus tells them, because there are some things I want you to understand. There's some things that other people aren't going to understand, and they're not ready to, to hear them yet, if at all. Jesus is going to continue telling these stories. But oftentimes, parables, too, often give us something to hang things on, a visual image to remember things by. Some of the greatest teachers I ever had were able to use stories, were able to use symbols to help me remember things. I'd be able to remember, the, you know, doing physics. I love physics. I'm a hands-on guy. And doing physics and just doing the math, that was great and all. But when we got the physics lab... Bingo, baby. When we're launching stuff across the room, okay, I can remember this equation now because I just watched that sucker fly across the room and, oh, yeah, this is good stuff, right? Jesus is going to give them this ability to remember. He's telling them this parable of the weeds, and the disciples come to him in verse 30 
six, and they say, great story. Once again, we were riveted on the edges of our seats, but what does it mean? We know there was something significant and important we were supposed to take away from that, but we didn't get it. It was over our heads. Please tell us. So Jesus lovingly, compassionately tells them what it meant. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom that they're going to start working in and realize the sower of the good seed is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, coming out of his home. And you've got to understand, God has always existed, yesterday, today, and forever. God just doesn't exist in our time zone right now. God just doesn't exist at, you know, what is it? You know, boy, I need to fix my watch. It's not 2300. Um, at 11.05, right? God doesn't just exist here. God has, has existed eternally past and eternally future and right now at the same time. It hurts our heads to think about, right? Because we're finite creatures and we got this finite understanding and ability to think. God, God the Son said, I'm going to step into space and time and, and subject myself to the creation. The creator of all things the Bible tells us that Jesus was the one that is credited for the creation of the Trinity. He steps into our time and he lives amongst us. And he I mean, could you imagine the Pharisees and the Sadducees giving the Son of God a hard time? It's mind blowing. How many times do we do that? But we, we're going to talk about that later because that's too convicting. Um, I mean, that steps into time and space, and he lives this perfect life, and he gives us the greatest example of what it is to love, what it is to be obedient to the Father. So many times we, we skim over that, that, that little phrase that's oftentimes said of Jesus Christ. He did this to be obedience to the Father. Jesus Christ taught us what it looks like to obey. The complete will of the Father. Jesus Christ did the complete will of the Father. He left nothing out. He taught us what it is to believe. He taught us what it is to live this life on this earth. And he taught and he instructed. And then he went to the cross and he became the sacrifice for our sins. He is the sower of the good seed. And the good seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has sowed that seed perfectly and wonderfully. And he taught his disciples, and this is what he's doing right here. He's teaching his disciples, this is the good seed that's being sown as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the world, that's what's getting planted in. And Jesus Christ is sowing that seed perfectly. It's being planted into the world. The good seed causes the kingdom of people to be grown. Isn't that beautiful? The gospel of Jesus Christ results in hearts and lives changed. God's kingdom people. The weeds are the people of Satan. Those that oppose the will of God. Those that oppose the kingdom work. And the enemy of the sower is Satan himself, the devil. The harvest is the end of this world and the reapers are Jesus' angels. Some of you are saying, okay, great, he explained the parable. But he talks about this end of this age stuff. He talks about the harvest. He talks about things to come. He talks about, yeah, the weeds being burned up and, and the wheat being gathered into the barns. 
But what difference does it make to us right now who are living? Why would Jesus tell his disciples this? Why, why would he tell them that he is sowing this good seed and there's these evil seeds planted and intermixed in between? And what's really cool is you're studying this and you're getting into the, the, the details, into the weeds, if you will, of this passage, and you're diving in, you start to discover in the original language, this, this idea, concept of weeds, is a weed that when it was planted, when the evil one comes in and plants it amongst the wheat harvest, you wouldn't known it was a weed until it grew up. And then all of a sudden you're realizing, oh, we got weeds amongst the wheat. There's been a period of deception. There's been a period of Deceiving as these weeds have grown up amongst the wheat. And now they're in this world together. The encouraging, comforting thing about the present reality of what he's talking about, since Jesus is the sower of good seed, people's hearts and lives are being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is still sowing the good seed. Jesus is still touching hearts and lives and changing people for for the kingdom of heaven. And brothers and sisters, that ought to encourage your socks off of us. Because we, if you're a child of God here this morning, if, if you have repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, you're a living testimony that God is still sowing that gospel and, and planting it within our hearts and changing our hearts for his kingdom work. And that's exciting. Christ is still building his kingdom. The tough present reality is that Satan... And his people will oppose Jesus and his kingdom people. Yes, we here at Livingstone Church do believe that Satan is real. And Satan stands in opposition to God and his kingdom and his plan. How many of y'all have ever read the books by Frankie Peretti, Piercing the Darkness or This Present Darkness or, yeah, those are freaky books, right? You get done reading it. So basically these books are, they tell this, this story and timeline, but what makes it unique is they'll give you the, the physical reality of what's being told. Like a lady, I remember one part of a book, she's trying to get her key in the car, and she's struggling to get her key in the car, and she's frantically trying to escape and run away, and she's going, and she can't get her key in the car, right? And then all of a sudden it switches over to the spiritual reality of what is taking place, and demons are sitting there swacking at the key, and she's unable to put it in there because of the spiritual realm that's going on. Now, I got it, Peretti's overly illustrating what is taking place sometimes, but oftentimes in the church we don't even think to consider, to think about the spiritual battles that is often taking place in and around us. You read these books, though, by the end of reading these books you're sitting there, and if it's at nighttime, because that's often time you get a chance to read, you're sitting there going, what's going on around me, right? You're a little freaked out. And, and, and oftentimes with those books, what took place in America and in a lot of churches was the over-then emphasis of the evil one and his power. Listen, Jesus Christ is king. And he has all authority and all power, okay? And the evil one is subjected to Jesus Christ's authority. You've got to understand that. Christ is king, okay? And as we're looking at this, but we do know that the evil one is going to come against and will try to destroy and to divide God's kingdom people. You know, and I'm going to speak bluntly. In this valley, we've struggled with that over the last three years. The evil one's been at work. Kind of wheedling his way into 
churches and hardening of hearts. And, you know, there needs to be some confession and some repentance that needs to go on. And I'm really excited to say, you know, God has, you know, God rises up the right people at the right time for the right moment. And Rich Watson is with us here this morning, and he's going to share with us about Chelan Valley Hope and the need they have here in a little bit. But I had the pleasure of sitting down with Rich. And, and if I hadn't go, had to go to another appointment, we probably would have been there for three or four hours just, just talking. Rich is going to bring the pastors together in this valley next week for the first time, well, first time since I've been here. And we need to be praying for that meeting. The, the, the prayer, confession and repentance that needs to take place will take place. And that the evil one will stop having dominion over the kingdom of God in this valley. And that hearts and lives will be changed and will be drawn together and knit together. And we have so many different wonderful ways to demonstrate that God is drawing our hearts together as we support Chelan Valley Hope together. As we do different things in this valley. We have this, this valley needs all of our help together. And there are things that we can be doing together. You know, we had a great example of this week. Phil, Pastor Phil from Riverwalk Church, was here all week long. Leading a team of kids, supporting our VBS program. Phil wasn't here going, oh, i got to figure out a way to get these kids over to Riverwalk, you know, and get their families over to Riverwalk, because we're here to grow Riverwalk. No! He's here. I want to love on these kids. And I want to see God glorified in these kids. Like him and his wife are just loving on these kids, having an amazing time. I was so touched by their service here. People from other churches in this valley coming together to serve our VBS. Man, that is powerful. That is beautiful. That's what it looks like when God is knitting the family of God together for service for his kingdom work. That's what we should be concerned about is God's kingdom work, not just growing individual churches. It's not about who's got the biggest numbers in the valley. I'd rather see strong churches serving God together on mission for God to reach the lost. There's so many people that don't know Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons that they're opposed to knowing Jesus Christ is because they've seen what the church has done. And they said, man, I don't see much of a difference between the way I act with me and my friends and my and the way the churches act together in this valley. We've got to heal that. We've got to step out. We've got to say, you know, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to come together. We've got to serve God together. We've got to do God's kingdom work together. Thank you, Rich, for putting this meeting together. I'm super. Of course, I'll be on vacation. So Jeffrey's going to go in my stead, but I can't wait for the next one. Um, but this is going to be amazing to watch what God is going to do and heal our hearts together. You know, it was awesome. Seventh-day Adventist Church is going to do VBS here in a couple weeks. And Linda Vogt called them up and said, hey, we got all, all these decorations they're doing in Everest VBS. And so they came on, on Friday and loaded out all the decorations. They were so blessed that we would just give our decorations to them so they could hold their VBS. And that's what we're supposed to be, a blessing, a family. That's the verbiage God uses of his kingdom, a family. And a family is supposed to be knit together. A family is supposed to be tied together. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, serving God together. And the evil one loves to wheedle his way in there, deceive and destroy the family of God. Another way in which the family of God has been destroyed and hurt by the evil one is by sometimes our desires to reach the world. And sometimes it starts out with good intentions. 
we realize that the word of God, some of the things that Jesus says in here and some things that Paul says, hey, man, these are tough sayings. What if we soften the word of God a little bit? What if we, we don't talk about the hard things in Scripture? We just soften it a little bit. And, and, and so when it comes to certain sins that people, you know, sex before marriage and, and homosexuality and, and or excuse me, same-sex attraction, and, and those kind of things, and, or, or, or you know what, um, you know, pornography, or, or you know, obesity, or, or, you know, having these idols in their lives, instead of, like, really calling those things out, we're not going to talk about those things. And in fact, when challenged with these things, we're just going to take a little step further and say, you know, that was a historical thing. It was a cultural thing back in the day. And, and, and you know what? That day has passed. So we really don't need to follow that anymore. And so now we're going to take our, our knives and our scissors. And we're going to start cutting parts of the Bible out because it makes us feel uncomfortable. Right? And all of a sudden we realize as we now stand in authority over God's word and tell God what is his word and what isn't, we recognize that, you know what? We just don't need to study this at all. We'll, we'll do the liturgical readings or we'll do this reading about it. But, you know, then we'll just kind of put it up on the stand or we'll, we'll just shut it all together. It's really. And we'll talk about the philosophy or some, something else or a new rock band or the latest New York Times bestseller. We'll talk about that on a Sunday morning. What makes it really rough is kids that grew up and Bible-believing and teaching churches go leave home and they start going to these churches. And it's breaking our hearts as parents as all of a sudden they come back from these churches and going, I don't understand why you're so strict with the Word of God. You know, really, it's just a good book of morals and teachings, you know? God, you know, it's, and, and God didn't write it. Men wrote it. And there's all these disagreements in it, and there's all these, you know, things that are wrong with it. And, you know, it's a good thing to read when, you know, are bored or when you're trying to figure out, hey, what's a good proverb to make somebody do what I want? Then we can pull it out and use it that way. But really, why are you so hung up on the Word of God? And all of a sudden, our kids are coming home to us, and they're saying, I can do this sin, and I can be part of this. I can live with my boyfriend. I can sleep with a person of the same sex, and I can, I can you know, worship this idol in my life and i can i can achieve my goals and my dreams i don't care if i have to step on other people to do it i don't care if i have to lie steal manipulate to get my will and my position because god wants me to be happy god just wants my joy and and god just wants all this in my life and the evil one is just stunk in there and he's rooted in and he's deceiving our kids and it's breaking our hearts as parents as we're watching our kids, we're watching this generation attend these churches. The deception is real. We know what's to come. We know what the future holds. But right now as we walk in the midst of this kingdom, as God Christ is ruling in our lives and we see the darkness and the deception of what's going on out there, it is breaking our hearts. And brothers and sisters, I've started doing something that some of you may bristle against but david did it david prayed against the enemies of god david stood in the gap and he said i'm going to pray against those that would see god's name be spit upon and abolished 
Brothers and sisters, I think it's time for us as churches to start praying against those churches that are spewing false teaching, that are defaming the name of God, and that are teaching our children lies and deception. That God would reveal the truth in those places. And we're not lacking grace. We're not lacking mercy. We do trust that they would repent and turn from their sin before it's too late. But God would shut those places down and the truth of God would be revealed. And those children that were raised up in truth, the Holy Spirit would convict and draw them back into the fold. We are in spiritual warfare. This is a battle for the, our souls and the souls of our kids. It's a battle for us as churches to draw together. We're in a fight, folks. And the evil one is right working right in the midst of us. And he's real enemy, and we need to be praying against it in the name of Jesus Christ for Christ to reign and rule and the truth of God to be revealed. Why do you think the number one image that Paul uses of Christians in scriptures is warriors and soldiers? Because that's what we are. We're soldiers for the kingdom of God. And we're here to serve the king. And we should not be afraid. We should not be fearful for he is a good king. How do we know he's a good king? Because of the future reality that he tells of here in Matthew chapter 13. The very last verse here. It's beautiful. Matthew 13, he says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Oh, that's cool. Now, I'm kind of into Marvel comics and DC comics, and you know that I'm going to get this messed up, Ribbon. Ribbon's going to correct me later, but there's like Torch, right? Torch is like the flame dude, like flame on, right? And he's like glowing, he's firing, he's fiery guy, right? We, as children of God, are going to shine so brightly, it'll be like the sun. Now, how many of y'all can stare into the, not today, because today doesn't count. How many of y'all can stare into the sun and not go blind? Right? We're going to be shining like the sun. God's righteousness given to us, fully revealed, in heaven and turning forever. That's our hope. That's our glory. We can take it on the chin right now. We can stand up for God and not be afraid. We can serve God faithfully. We can live sacrificially and not be worried. Because Jesus Christ is in control. It's his plan. And he's promised this for those who are his children in the future. It's a glorious day ahead for us. We need not be afraid. It's time for us to, to stand firm and to not be afraid and not shrink back. But the way in which we stand is not one that thumbs our nose at the world, but says we love you and Christ has this abundant life for you. And the rules and the guidelines that he has given us in the word of God is not so that we can be miserable, but it's so that we can have this abundant, amazing, glorious life now. Do you, you know, and it's taken me a very long time. That song, You're a Good, Good Father, I asked Christy and Ethan to sing that this week. When it was sung at camp, I was almost in tears the first time I heard it. Do you know God loves you individually? Not just the whole kingdom, not just the whole church. God loves you individually. Individually, he loves you. And he has done things to demonstrate his love to you individually. Individually, God sent his son to die upon the cross for your sins. When our sins were 
were being put upon Jesus Christ. It was for us. It was for God demonstrating his love towards us. And God continues to demonstrate that love for us. Over and over, Christy and I could stand up here and tell you stories of how God provided, how God comforted, how God healed, how God forgave, and how God has eternally demonstrated his love towards us. By the way, that's what our VBS kids learned all week long. Individually, God cares for you. And he cares for us together. But I think sometimes we forget how much God loves us. You're a good, good father. And I am loved by you. It's who I am. Your value this morning The value for your life wasn't given to you by your mom or your dad. Your value was given to you by the creator, Jesus Christ. You may have been blessed with the mom and dad who loved you very much. But I've met too many kids who were told by their mom, I wish I would have never had you have been abandoned by their fathers. And they get it. Those kids get it. Mom and dad don't provide my value. My creator, the one who designed me, the one who knit me together in my mother's womb, is the one who assigns me value. And he loves me. It's who I am. My identity is found in the love of God as his child. The future reality for those who stand in opposition to God is an eternal hell. And yes, we're old school. We believe in the word of God. And we believe that there is an eternal hell that is unquenchable. And if you want to talk with me offline about that later, we can arm wrestle it. But we're going to study the word of God together. And that breaks our hearts because we have family members and we have friends that don't know Jesus Christ right now. And we're praying for them. We're living the gospel message out in front of them. We're sharing the gospel message with them. And some of you this morning going, how can I rejoice when I know that could happen to them? You can rejoice because you need to know God is just. He is holy. He is righteous and his plan is perfect. And his will is glorious. And his name will be praised. It's who he is. He continues to change hearts and lives. And brothers and sisters, we shouldn't give up on our family, friends, and loved ones who are not yet part of the kingdom of God. Last week we talked about that. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep loving the unlovable. Keep chasing after and pursuing So my question to you this morning is, who are we serving? If our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family were to come in here and bear witness and bear testimony to our lives, 
this morning, who would they say we serve? The Almighty God, holy, just, and pure, or the evil one? Do our actions depict unity and depict one that draws the family of God together and, and loves one another and serves one another and, and pours out their lives in service to God Almighty? Or are we still struggling with that desire to serve ourselves and idolatry? Are we still struggling with being divisive? Are we still saying, my needs, my wants, my desires reign supreme over everybody else's? You don't understand the life I came from. You don't understand this or that. And bottom line is, children of God desire to please the Creator. And children of God put the needs of others before themselves. Somebody once told me that there's, that uh, division and divisiveness and, and consternation and is a spiritual gift. No, it is not. Children of God desire the we work together in service of the king to be a family. Who are we serving? Are we encouraging others to be a part of Jesus' kingdom? People were to see our lives and to see how we're living. We're like, man, I want to be part of that family. I want to be part of that. That, that kingdom thing they're talking about, that, that Christ ruling and reigning, I want that part for my life. Are we attractive? I love it in the book of Acts. Remember in Acts when it's talking about the early church? And thousands were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And they, they were being desired by all people. People wanted them around. Do, do, do our neighbors and our friends and our peers want us around? Do they view us as people that, that man, they can share things with, that they can be loved by, they can open up to, that, that we point to hope that is given through Jesus Christ? Are we attractive? Not in the way that condones a life apart from God, but that draws people together to say, man, I want to be a part of that. As God's kingdom people, we get the wonderful ability to work together for his glory and for his might. One of the things when I came here that I found out that was going on was, you know, I was told about Chelan Valley Hope. I came here a little over three years ago, back in April, was told about the amazing things that they did in this valley, reaching out to the needs of those who don't have. And they're going to read some statistics for you that are, for some of you, maybe shocked, for others of you, won't be shocked. If you know this valley well, you're going to go, yep, that's, that sounds about right. They are working powerfully, and I was told about this. And so I went to, to our board, and I uh, went to the budget, and I said, so, how, so what are we giving to Chelan Valley Hope? Because I'm sending a lot of people there. I'm knocking on my door. I need gas. I need, I need rent money. I need help with my electric bill. I'm just, well, Chelan Valley Hope, I hear they're doing all these things. Great. So I keep sending them people there, right? Well, how much are we giving to Chelan Valley Hope to, to help them out to support what's going on? Goose egg. Nothing. I was convicted by that. So now we are supporting Schland Valley Hope, and I'll be honest with you, we plan on increasing our support to Schland Valley Hope as we move forward. Because they're reaching the orphans. They're reaching the widows. They're reaching those who've lost their jobs. They're reaching those who are in need and can't provide. 
Now some of you may sit here this morning and say, well, I've got to be for this reason or for that. You know what? They're not perfect. And you know what? They have limitations and they have to. And you know what? They're doing an incredible service. And you can find fault with anything. You can find fault with me pretty quickly. Not that hard. Just talk to a few people in the valley. Okay? But the bottom line is, they are reaching a lot of people in need in this valley. And we're going to come behind them, support them. And hopefully, all the other churches in this valley, we're going to unite together and find out. And for all of us to go on turning to Chelan Valley Hope and saying, what are your needs? How can we help? Instead of Little Stone, or excuse me, Livingstone, pardon that. Livingstone saying, I want to have our own food bank. I want to have our own clothes closet. I want to have our own needs ministry. And then we're going to, North Shore is going to have their own. Nazarene's going to have their own. Methodist Church is going to have their own. Lutheran Church is going to have their own. Real Life's going to have their own. Riverwalk's going to have their own. Brain Church is going to have their own. And we'll be just a bunch of fractured people. And somebody rolling into town saying, I need help. Well, go to Livingstone for this, go to North Shore for that, go to the Brain Church for this, going over to this organization for that. Um, can I get a map? Can I get, what time are they open? Well, Livingstone, they're available uh, from this to this time on Monday, um, but you're going to want to hurry because the other one closes at this time on Monday as well. Um, and if you're lucky, you can catch these open on Thursday. What? But what if we centralize? And that's what Chelan Valley Hope offers, is a centralized way to minister to those who are in need in our valley. They have needs in regards to building. They can tell us about it. They have needs in regards to volunteers. They have needs in regards to financial needs. So we have an opportunity to demonstrate our desire to serve God as his kingdom people, uniting with other kingdom people in this valley. So I'm going to ask Rich, would you come up here, brother, and share with us what's going on? Thank you, Scott. In the first service, uh, I had designed on, um, so we got here, I came in about 20 minutes late. And I thought at the time, I, I thought afterwards, I guess, that Scott was looking around, probably didn't see me, and thought, Oh, my gosh, I've got to extend this service another 20 minutes because Rich isn't going to show up. Uh, but thank you for, for being here. Thank you, Scott, for allowing us to be here. It's always fun to look out and see familiar faces as well. The story of Chelan Valley Hope really starts in September of 2008 when a group of individuals, about 45 people from around the community, got together at in what has now become the community roundtable, but what at that point in time was upstairs in the <clears throat> Chelan Fire Hall. And there were people there from churches, there were people there from service groups, from the medical community, from the schools, from just interested individuals. And we came together and I asked them one question. I said, we're beginning to see an economic downturn in our country. How are we, as a community, going to respond to that? Do we know the resources? Do we know where the, the, the services are that can help people who are struggling as our economy changes hands? And the more we talked about that, the, the, the bigger the problem seemed to go. And we realized that none of us really understood the issue. None of us really had the answers for that. And I like Pastor Scott's reference to David because I think about the biblical David. And what David faced in Goliath was a giant. 
And everybody else sort of backed away because there was this great big giant out there. And what we as a group were facing was a giant. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to go. We didn't even really know where to begin. But we had our own David. His name is David Moore. And David attended the meetings. And he said, you know, it's not right. It's not right that this community that cares so much about its citizens, that has been philanthropic, that has been loving, that reaches out in a multicultural way, that embraces who we are, that this community should not have some kind of an organization that could be available when people are in need and when people are struggling. And, and later on, you're going to hear about the statistics. But if you've lived here for a while, you know that not everybody who lives in Chelan is a high net worth, high income individual. In fact, by far, the majority of our people live at or below the poverty level. And so it wasn't right that that should happen. So David went out and talked to Servonachi Valley and Love Inc. and Moses Lake and the Cove and others. And he came back to the community roundtable and he said, I'm going to start an organization. And it's an organization that is going to work with people in the community who are in need. And it's going to treat them with dignity and respect. It's going to treat them with compassion. It's not going to be condemning. It's not going to say, how did you get into this situation? It's going to say, how can we help you get out? How can we help you move from where you are to where you could be? And that doesn't mean handing out a telephone number and saying, call this um, 800 number and you'll get help. It means walking alongside of people. So Dave came back and said, I need three things from you guys. He said, I need a name, which we held a contest. Um, we had a lady who volunteered some wonderful brownies to the winner. And so we came up with the name Chelan Valley Hope because we thought that that really reflected uh, what it was about. He said, I need a place. We don't even have a place to meet. Pastor Dan Bresno from the Methodist Church was there, and he said, you know what? I've got a room in the church. It's not very big. It probably was about the size of this stage initially. And he said, but you can use that. And then Dave said, I could also use a little bit of money just to start up with. And we said, you know, in typical church fashion, well, we'll pass a collection plate, and good luck. <laughs> uh, now, we didn't. We actually... Actually, I'm pleased to say that a couple churches stepped up with funding and the Lake Chelan Rotary Club stepped up with funding. So we had an initial, some money to work with. To say that we were uh, <laughs> a little naive in starting this would be an understatement. Uh, we were very naive. We had no idea what we were getting into. And, you know, the first couple of, of weeks, we were surprised if we had two, maybe three people a day, families that would come in. And we thought, wow, if this keeps up, we'll serve 75 or so families a year that are in need and have problems. Last year, Chelan Valley Hope had 750 families that it served. Wow. But the facing of giants didn't stop there. The next step was when we moved into the Methodist Church, and pretty soon we outgrew the space that they gave us. And so they graciously gave us some more space, and we quickly outgrew that space, and pretty soon they needed their space, and so we had to move. And in the next four years, five years, we moved four times. 
then every time you move, you disrupt the services that you're providing. Every time you move, you don't have the ability to plan for the future and implement some of the programs and things that you need. Um, but at the same time we were doing that, the food bank was also moving four times, going from place to place to place, trying to find a home. And the food bank serves a lot of the same clients that, that we do. And finally, we were able to come to an agreement with the city, and you're going to hear more about this from Kathy, um, where we were able to acquire the use of the former library building, or some of you remember it as a community resource building. There was a daycare there years ago, uh, and the library, when the library moved, that building was empty, and um, we were able to at least get a lease purchase out of it. But you know, Chelan Valley Hope was not the only one during that time that was facing giants. Our families were facing giants. And if you've ever been in need and if you've ever had a situation in your life where it seemed like nothing could get any better, <clears throat> that's facing a giant. Whether that giant's homelessness, whether it's help with transportation, as Pastor Scott said, or utilities, or just working through some of the support services or medical services, or just having somebody with a listening ear, somebody who will listen to what you're saying and, and not be condemning, but really help you through the process. So after uh, about two or three years, uh, Dave Moore had to step down and uh, a lady who had been involved with Chelan Valley Hope from day one said, you know what? I'd like, to, I'd like to continue and see this expand. And Sharon Lucas is here with us. Sharon is the executive director. She is our only paid staff, although grossly underpaid, uh, but she's here with us today. And one of Sharon's jobs is to organize and manage our volunteers. Chelan Valley Hope is an all-volunteer organization like the Food Bank and, and so many other nonprofits. Chelan Valley Hope also umbrellas a number of other groups. Over the, the time as we were moving and growing and expanding and looking for uh, other resources, we began to umbrella um, a group called uh, Manger Mall. And most of you have heard about Manger Mall. Uh, View Life Resources, which provides counseling services for people who, whose medical insurance doesn't cover any kind of behavioral counseling or other life counseling issues. Uh, Give Naked, which is a, an internet fund um, raising group. And the building itself is used for far more than that. The food bank is housed there. The English as a second language is taught there. The landing, which is the teenage celebrate recovery, is held there. Uh, mediation services are used that building as well as a number of other community groups. But you know, all of this happens because of volunteers. All of this happens because people are willing to get involved and engage. And I would just like to take just a moment and ask if you have volunteered at Chelan Valley Hope, Manger Mall, View Life Resources, Give Naked, the Food Bank, English is a second language, the landing, or any of the other services that are offered in that building. Would you please stand up? I know you're there, so.
you all deserve the credit because things happen because of you. Giants are faced because of you. Papers drop because of me. Um, but you know, it's easy for me to be up here and talk about issues, uh, talk about issues our families face, and talk about the kind of work that Chelan Valley Hope does. But it's really important that you hear from somebody whose life has been affected by Chelan Valley Hope. And uh, Lynette, I'm going to introduce Lynette. She's going to come on up. And I have to tell you that <clears> at the first service, was the first time Lynette had shared her story. So if you don't think she was a little nervous, um, and she was, but she graciously accepted my invitation to come up and tell her story and be a voice for Chelan Valley Hope. So Lynette. Thanks, Rich. Um, I'm Lynette Jorgensen. I know several of you. So fun to see faces I know. Earlier service, I only knew a couple, so this is great. Um, I am the volunteer coordinator for the Cornerstone campaign. Sharon is the volunteer head of um, Chelan Valley Hope, and we are working to um, purchase the building, which Kathy will explain in a little while. Um, and I'm heading the volunteers that are working toward that effort. Um, I prided myself in working several jobs to put myself through college and and to support my family um, and do whatever I needed to do to take care of us. And I taught for over 15 years, anywhere from preschool to a couple of different universities, um, lived and traveled around the world and, and had so many incredible opportunities. Um, I loved working, and I love working with kids, and I really miss it. Um, I fell ill with an ultra-rare, chronic, life-threatening illness about six and a half years ago. Um, and I spent about two months in the hospital, a lot of which I had to stay in bed. I wasn't allowed to get up because um, it, it was an issue with my blood, and so um, I wasn't clotting. So anything that I did to injure myself was a threat to my life. Um, my disease during my time in the hospital went to clinical inactivity. A lot of people um, say they're in remission. Mine is never in remission. Mine is always active in the background in my body. We call it clinical inactivity. Um, but I was blessed with that. However, it left me um, in kidney failure. And I was blessed almost a year after I got out of the hospital with a kidney from my sister. And she saved my life. And I, um, I love that. Um, I still struggle every single day with health. Um, my body was damaged and I was left disabled, which is a really hard thing still six and a half years later for me to say, this is not how I pictured my life. This is not how I imagined it would be. Um, I had a whole different image, but I'm learning to love this one. Um, I have two boys and I'm blessed to be able to be at home with them. I really have to put that in my head because I still wanna work and get out there and do things and I can't. 
And so I'm blessed to be home with them. There are times, though, after doing everything I can possibly do, um, pushing myself to provide in the ways that I can, after doing everything I can, it's sometimes still not enough. And I have no control over that. Um, talked about how sometimes we get trial after trial after trial and we get blessings but then we go oh you know what but what was me this and now it's this and I live a lot like that in my life and I'm really working hard to not live like that and at one point I had to turn to Shalam Valley Hope and I met with Sharon and I told her my story and I told her my history and I told her everything that was going on in my life and it was an incredibly humbling experience. If you've ever had to ask for help when you're self-sufficient, it's horrifying. Um, and I was welcomed with open, loving arms and a kind, caring heart. And she said to me earlier, it was just a small, simple thing that I did. And I said, but it was huge for me. It was huge. It was a life-saving event and a hope giving event for me. I was blessed by their generosity and I met amazing selfless people. There are lots of people in our community who even after doing everything they can do to provide for their families, it's still not enough. And Chelan Valley Hope and the Cornerstone Building gives them a safe private environment to find a way to have their needs met. Um, well, I look absolutely fabulous on the outside. It's not true, I know. <laughs> on the inside, it is a daily struggle for me between life and death. I never know when I'll come out of clinical inactivity and end up in the hospital. I never know when um, I might catch a virus and end up in the hospital or lose my kidney or any of the other numerous things that can happen. Um, we have a lot of people surrounding us who, while they may look fabulous on the outside and they carry themselves well, they are struggling on the inside and not knowing where to go for help and not wanting to admit defeat. Chelan Valley Hope, the food bank, the Cornerstone Building allows one location for those people to go and say, I need help. I'm in the most desperate part of my life, and I need help. Um, I love that it's a safe haven for souls that are in pain, and I have been incredibly blessed by knowing these people, by serving these people, and by having them serve me. Um, there's strength in each of us, and I know it. And I love that we have this opportunity to give strength to others around us. So um, I'd like to turn the microphone over. Oh, Rich is going to come back up, and Kathy's going to explain a little bit more about our campaign. Thank you. Hard to follow that. <laughs> um, 
But you know, just uh, like David facing Goliath and facing a giant, as I mentioned before, Chelan Valley Hope is now facing another giant, and that is the purchase of the Cornerstone Building. And so one of our co-chairs from that campaign, Kathy Fedor, is going to Fedor. I always pronounce her name wrong, and her, her wonderful husband sitting in the back of the room there as well. Uh, is going to come up and talk to us a little bit and give you just a brief overview of the Cornerstone campaign, what it's about, and why it's so important. Uh, you might recognize Kathy. She is Manger Mall. Uh, she took over a couple of years ago from Allison Powers. And uh, if you've never participated in the Manger Mall in December, uh, you've missed out on one of the incredible events in the Chelan Valley. Thank you, Rich, and thank you very much, Scott, for um, asking us here today. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever thought about uh, where we live here. Um, the Chelan Valley actually has two faces. One is it's a fun, relaxing summer desti destination with great resorts, crystal blue water, wineries, and numerous other uh, outdoor activities. The other is the harsh reality of seasonal employment, 20% of our families living in poverty, wages that can't keep up with expenses, hunger and homelessness with about 70% of our kids qualifying for free meals or reduced meals. These many critical needs and others are what draw people to Cornerstone. And as you've, you've heard today, Cornerstone is the current home of Chelan Valley Hope and the food bank. You may know it as the old library and, or the Bradley Street building. It's a, an 8,000 square foot building. 4,000 square feet is in the basement and currently unfinished. Uh, as Rich mentioned, uh, Schlam Valley Hope started up in 2009 in the Methodist Church, and they, along with the food bank, have moved n numerous times. I think we've all lost count on that. The current location is by far, we think, the very best one that we've had so far, and it allows multiple critical need services to be served under one roof. And this makes the incredibly difficult burden of seeking assistance a, a lot easier. It wasn't too long ago, and I think a lot of you might remember, when those needing assistance were lined up on East Wooden seeking food or other services. Today, uh, Cornerstone, at Cornerstone, those needing assistance are not on display. The building is off the beaten track where p business can be uh, conducted with dignity and all the privacy that can be offered to those needing assistance. In 2014, 700 families uh, were served with counseling and uh, need issues. In 2014, an estimated 2,500 families benefited from the food bank. And then last year, uh, Chelan Valley Hope served as the Chelan staging area for the Carlton Complex fire victims. Over nine and a half tons of clothing, 
food and household necessities flowed through Chelan Valley Hope to Pateras. And over $90,000 was donated to Chelan Valley Hope for the Carlton Complex fire. The Cornerstone building is owned by the city of Chelan, and they plan to sell it next year. But they have given uh, Chelan Valley Hope until April 2016 to come up with the funds uh, to purchase the building. So between the cost of the building, the campaign expenses, and a start at remodeling the building's basement, we have set a goal of $262,000. That's a daunting figure. And when we started this, in, this campaign in April, it, it seemed like a, just a huge number. But I'm happy to report that the campaign is going very well. Since starting uh, the campaign in April, we have raised, and when we talk about money, we're talking about in-hand money. We've raised $70,000. And we have additional pledges out there, um, quite a few of them, and an incredible offer from a local couple, a very generous local couple, to match funds up to $100,000. So it is becoming quite evident to us that those in the Chelan Valley are passionate for this campaign and are willing to help where they can. The purchase of this building is a need. It's not a want. It's a need. Mm -hmm. Let's imagine for a minute if we didn't have these vital services in our community. Where would we be? I guess maybe a better question is, or a more appropriate question is, where would these families be? If we don't reach our goal, the city sells the building, and we go right back to square one, which is, again, searching for new locations for both the Food Bank and Chelan Valley Hope. The cycle just continues. This campaign was created to break that cycle. So remember, there's lots of needs out, or wants out there but the purchase of the Cornerstone Building is a need. Thank you very much for your time and your support. You know, I think when David faced Goliath and said it's not right that this person should uh, intimidate us, it's not right that we should be afraid of a Philistine, it's not right that we should not believe that God said, I will take care of you. And so he picked up that stone, he slung it at the giant, and the issue was gone. I think when Dave Moore said, it's not right that this community should not have a resource for people to go to. It's not right that we should not be able to um, support a multicultural, and we should not be able to help people that is in need. You know, I think Dave, Moore was just as correct as the David in the Bible. And when I hear the results of the campaign so far, it tells me that Dave's vision, when he said, let's do this, let's make this happen, was, was correct and the right vision to have. So we want to thank you for this opportunity. Thank you to Pastor Scott for giving us this opportunity. It means a lot, I know, to a pastor to give up the pulpit for a presentation. Uh, there are some 
brochures if you're interested in more about the Cornerstone. Uh, we'll all be here for a little bit, and then there's some brochures uh, out in the foyer area. But thank you again. We really do appreciate it. Um, you know, we, we prayed for you first service. Yeah. I'd like to pray for Lynette, if that's okay. That's Second service. So, Lynette, would you come up here? We'd love to pray for you while our music team comes. I know we're a little over this morning, but I, you know what? It's okay. Hopefully, if you need to leave for an appointment or for whatever reason, go right ahead. But we're going to go ahead and sing a few more songs and close out the service. But before we do that, I'm going to pray for Lynette and uh, ask you to join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for Lynette's courage this morning and how she just touched our hearts. Father God, we pray, pray for her body and for the healing upon her body, Lord God, that she would be able to have victory over this. And Lord God, we ultimately pray for your will. And Lord God, that you would reign and just speak through her life and that her testimony would be just a, something that gives glory to you, Lord God. Thank you so much for her willingness and her courage and, Lord, work in her life in amazing ways and her kids' lives. Lord, thank you for Chelan Valley Hope. We thank you for what you're doing through them. Lord God, we do pray that these funds would be raised, and we do pray that you would use us to be a part of this, this event. And, Lord God, it would be a glorious celebration that when Chelan Valley Hope and the food bank have a permanent home. We thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing. We pray this in the almighty name of the Savior. Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.